Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life. I'm not sure how much I could expand your life, Aaron. Hi, Dr. Paul. It's pretty expansive. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We've started our conversation without telling people who you are, but that's next. I have with me here today Aaron Linsdow. He is the author of a riveting book that I just finished called Antarctic Tears. Now, this is all about an expedition that you took, Aaron. In fact, this is this is a weird thing. Do you realize you do weird stuff? Very weird. You've been told that before. You've realized it. Yeah, you're not the first guy to say that. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so this particular experience for you involved being dropped off at the Hercules Inlet, I think it was. Yes. On the coast of Antarctica. That's a continent, people. It's down at the bottom of the world. And then you skied and sometimes post-holed or otherwise trudged your way to the center of that continent, a place called the South Pole. That's correct. The distance from the edge of the continent to the South Pole is about 720 miles, which is the Uh, same distance as Salt Lake to San Diego, but far worse conditions. Far worse conditions. This is the the, arguably the most inhospitable place on the planet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's called the worst place in the world. It's the highest, driest, and windiest place on Earth. Wow. And, And cold. Oh, yeah, it's got the world record for cold. You didn't mention cold. that. Yeah. The world record for cold. So you went right in the dead of the summer. Yeah, dead of the summer, meaning, meaning it's... November, yeah, December, November. January. This took you 82 days. Yes. Okay, that's enough of an introduction. Aaron, tell us your story a little bit. Give us the Reader's Digest version, at least the rundown. What the heck were you doing? Originally, I'd been a Boy Scout, became an Eagle Scout, and had always enjoyed outdoor adventure. And just through sporting and activity, it brought me to backpacking in the Sierras, and I really enjoyed that. (laughs) But over the years, I started to say, okay, what's farther away? What's crazier? Let's go farther and do this. Uh And eventually, I developed it to where I went to Greenland to hike from the edge of the ice cap to the coast, which is about 100 miles in the Mm. arctic tundra and walking in the arctic tundra is basically like walking on 50 miles of wet mushy pillows it is not easy (laughs) (laughs) and you just thought hey this sounds fun oh yeah and that's just where it starts until you start crossing Mm -hmm. ice choked rivers where you've got to pull off your pants and your boots and everything and ice cubes are literally floating by oh man in blizzards of course Uh, of course with gale force winds. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't leave out any of the fun stuff. No, no, no. So this intrigues you. Oh, absolutely. Now, 
Can I just add another little piece of context for our listeners? Sure. You're an engineer. Yes. <laughs> by, by training and education, you got a desk job, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so this is something that you've done on the side, but you can't really do an Antarctic expedition on the side. No, absolutely. About six months before you go on the expedition, you pretty much have to quit whatever you're doing. And quit mm-hmm. meaning leave what you're currently doing and fully dedicate yourself to the expedition. Because if you don't, you will fail. People have tried to do it halfway and it just, you never make it. Right. Well, you were living in perpetual spring. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In San Diego. San Diego, California. That doesn't really prepare your body well for the conditions you are about to face. No, being in the easiest climate in the country is not the best place for training mm-hmm. for the worst place in the world. So you would do, I remember in your book, you talked about doing some uh, training experiences where you would, for example, walk across Yellowstone in the middle of the winter. Oh, yes, absolutely. My first trip across Yellowstone started in Montana and ended in a place called Flag Ranch. It's mm. about 105 miles. And the nice thing about training in Yellowstone is because the entire park is above 5,000 feet. Uh-huh. And a lot of places are above 8,000, which is a great simulation for Antarctica. Yeah. The first winter I was in Yellowstone, it got down to minus 45 degrees. And that's what mm. I'm camping in. And that's after the sun came up in the morning. Right. So it was actually colder at night. Right. So... Uh, a little more context here because this has become so familiar to you that people might have a hard time wrapping their heads around this. You did this solo. Yes. The total duration of your trip was 82 days, 82 days. What was the high temperature during that time? If it got to minus 10, that would be pretty warm. That was a balmy day. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you're talking Fahrenheit. Yes. Ah, <sighs> okay people just wrap your heads around this Um, tell us about the wind the sun so antarctica is a rather peculiar place because even though the air temperature is minus 10 to minus 40 degrees in the austral summer Mm -hmm. the sun is so strong that it's actually stronger than it is at the equator so if the wind stops you actually start to broil it's as close as i can never been told that it's like being an astronaut you're in super cold, extremely dangerous conditions, but the sun actually radiates you and you can get severe sunburns down there easily. I spent a little bit of time, Aaron, on the Arctic Circle. Nice. That's the other end of the world. Absolutely. Not the North Pole, the Arctic Circle. So Mm -hmm. we're down a few degrees south of that. And I noticed that during the summer months, which is just opposite of the Southern Hemisphere, the sun didn't tend to go down. That's correct. The sun, when I was in Antarctica, never set. It actually just swirls around your head. It's something like maybe this time of year in March, when the sun's at about uh, maybe 4.30 in the afternoon, Uh it's that height and it spins around your head the entire time. So your sleeping cycle gets messed up, trying to maintain... uh, all your timing goes haywire and it really messes with how your brain works. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you prepare for something like this? That takes, that takes a lot of preparation. 
Oh yeah, it takes preparation, but also dedication because you have to completely yeah. commit to doing this. And there is no place in the lower 48 where you can train for that kind of sunup experience. Right. But the physical training, I was living up in Jackson Hole and still am. Mm -hmm. And that's a great training ground because it's at 6,000 feet. And so mm. I towed a tire all around town, up mountains. It looks like CrossFit, but instead of just dragging across a parking lot, you drag that thing for eight or nine hours. Right, because this was the kind of physical challenge you were up against on a daily basis in Antarctica. Correct. Unless the weather was too bad to go out. Right, and I had one weather day and then two sick days. But other than that, of that whole time, I was out every day. You were day. traveling every day. Yes. And by traveling, you might put in eight hours and get a half mile. The f beginning of the expedition was really bad. I had a couple of days where I got a few miles, and it was definitely discouraging. It didn't go mm. exactly according to plan. Right. And listeners, if you can imagine, I've got 700 miles ahead of me. And if I work all day long and get a half mile, how's that going to feel? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you were blind a lot of the time between goggles frosting over and whiteout conditions. Hard to describe in a few minutes here. You did a nice job in your book describing that. Thank you. And folks, if you want a, a chilling experience, <laughs> go read Antarctic Tears. I told you the other day, Aaron, that I had to read it with a blanket. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, so whatever you were writing there really kind of hit home with me. Oh, one other thing I wanted to, to bring up. Talk about your diet and how you handled the food thing. Oh, sure. The polar diet's primarily based on fat. You can't bring sugar and protein because they're only half as efficient as fat. Mm. So one of my main diet items was actually butter, and I brought Kerrygold butter. And those uh -huh. bricks are equivalent to two sticks of butter, and I ate two sticks of butter every day. Two sticks, just eating butter. Yeah, straight away, just eating it like a big old block of cheese. And that's just part of the polar diet. Wow. So it just goes contrary to everything that our nutritionists tell us. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... For a regular diet, I mean. Oh, if you ate this regularly, it would kill you. I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> but you had to have that kind of fuel... Uh, in order to even survive in those conditions. Yes, I was eating over 6,000 calories a day, but over the entire mm. trip, even though eating that load, I should have gained over a pound a day. I actually lost 25 pounds over the whole trip. Over the trip. Uh, wow. Okay, so this is this is nuts <laughs> to do this sort of thing. You've embraced that and accepted that. But now you have an opportunity to share this experience with people. And I don't know that that's why you did it. Not initially. No, I had other reasons. My dad had mm. prostate cancer and this is something mm. I wanted to promote with people of everybody I've ever met men over 40, just go get the PSA test, get checked out because it's a very easy to catch and manage cancer. But if you let it go and it metastasizes, the mortality rate is extremely high. Yes. So just like breast cancer, just go get a test, get a blood test. It only takes five minutes. Okay. Well so, worth. So that was what initially got you out there, at least to raise awareness and attention for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In, in addition to your undying desire to go out there and do something crazy that's never been done before. How many people have skied solo to the South Pole from the United States? 
to date, only one other person has skied from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole as an American. There have been 30 wow. people total. 30 total. Give us a standard of reference here. Um, summiting Everest, for example. Thousands. Thousands. But 30 have done what you did. Yes. Only two from the United States. Correct. And the first almost died doing it. And they're probably mostly from like Greenland or Norway or something. Norway, yes. <laughs> Norway is the the polar kings, I guess. Wow. Okay. Now that it's done, though, you have an opportunity to share this experience with people and to draw comparisons with, with other life challenges that we face. It, through the intensity of that experience, Aaron, what bubbles to the top for you as some of the primary principles, the things that it taught you about yourself or the world or whatever? One of the primary things that it taught me was keeping a positive attitude no matter how bad things got. Hold on. Wait a minute. Positivity? Absolutely. Oh, man, you're getting me excited now. <laughs> keeping a positive attitude. Really? Yes. People, I did not prep him for that. Is this true, Aaron? Oh, no, it's absolutely true. Because you know I'm the positivity guy. Yes, isn't that convenient? <laughs> <laughs> but this is one reason you're on my show, because I picked that up from you as I was talking to you, that this positive attitude is probably the most important thing. Now, would you say that that is true for practical things all the way down to survival? Oh, yes. Actually, survival when you think, oh, I've got to survive, you think food, water, shelter. Water is the number four on the survival list. The number one thing, if wow. you wish to survive, is a positive attitude. Because if you decide that you aren't going to make it, food, water, and shelter are completely irrelevant. Wow. That is a really great place for us to take a break. Because, folks, I want you to just ponder that for a minute. And then we'll dig in a little deeper as we come back from this break. Stick with us. This is Aaron Linsdale at Live On Purpose Radio. Thank you for listening to Live On Purpose Radio. We're so glad to have you here. Please come by the website, drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, drpauljenkins.com. On the website, you'll have an opportunity to receive a free download. And while you're there, make sure you click on the social media icons. Come over to Facebook, where we will be posting these episodes as well as our YouTube videos and other content and announcements for you to share. Please like us, comment, subscribe, join the conversation. We're happy to have you with us here at Live On Purpose Radio. Let's all support each other to live on purpose. DrPaulJenkins.com. Hi, my name is Chris Crone, and thank you for listening to Live on Purpose Radio. I became financially independent, starting from nothing, by the age of 26. My purpose is to financially liberate the captive. Are you searching for a realistic, proven system in real estate to create enough residual income to retire or fund your dreams? I invite you to learn about a passive turnkey proven system and approach to real estate where my team of 200 experts can do all the heavy lifting to create the freedom you're searching for. Visit www.liveonpurpose.strongbrook.com 
To get a free copy of my book, The Straight Path to Real Estate Wealth, just enter the code FREE at www.liveonpurpose.strongbrook.com. Aaron, you are totally hired to be the positivity guru of the day. Great. Because you put it number one. You said water is number four. Yes. On the survival essentials list. Correct. Could you expand on that? And I think, at least I'm curious, I think some of our listeners might be as well. What's two and three? (laughs) Talk about that a little bit. So number one, you have to have a positive mental attitude to survive because in a bad situation, if you get lost in the woods, Mm -hmm. if your heart isn't in it and you start doing crazy things and reckless things of starting screaming and running around, just like programs in the school where they say, hug a tree that gives you a warm, comfortable place to be in. Mm -hmm. So the psychology part of two and three is getting yourself set up and thinking, all right, I need to stay warm. I need to stay safe before you have to worry about water, food, and shelter. Because you can survive Uh three days without water. You can survive 30 days roughly without food. But without a correct mental attitude, you won't survive hours. Wow. It's So it's it's on the same level as air. Oh, yeah. You have to want to keep going and keep moving forward as much as you want to breathe, which is pretty motivating for most people because most of us still want to keep breathing. You got to experience this firsthand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This isn't textbook stuff for you. Correct. I, I'm remembering from your book, and, and you just call whatever experiences come to your mind, but I'm remembering, for example, when your shovel broke. Oh, yeah, that was crippling because without a shovel down there, you can't build extra shelter because your tent alone can't necessarily survive that onslaught of 40-mile-an-hour winds for nine hours straight. And also, you can't dig up that ice to create water because you can't scoop that stuff out with your hands. It's too hard packed. This is We're talking about a mile thick of ice that you're walking on. Correct. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, and at the deepest part, it's almost three miles thick in some portions. Just ice. Yes, solid. And the wind has been pounding it, and we're 40, 50 below zero. Uh it's going to be hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So your shovel broke. Now, you didn't have your nice, handy impact driver and your drills and your power tools with you. Or no. did you? No, I wish I did. That Where would you plug them in? Right? <laughs> solar power. You did have a solar charger for your sat phone and things right. like that but and your GPS systems. But talk about that for just a minute in terms of the psychology. And where different people might go with something as simple as a shovel breaking. Yeah, shovel breaking in the United States, you just go over to the local big box store, you grab another one, and you're done in half an hour, and you move on. But without that shovel in Antarctica, you have nothing to build shelter, nothing to dig out water, nothing to create protection for yourself. And shelter is important. Oh, yeah, in Antarctica. But not as important as... Your attitude. Yeah, the positive attitude. Because when the shovel broke, I had just a crushing, sinking feeling of, oh my gosh, this is it. This is this total is bad. wipeout. Right. 
And so to repair that shovel, all I had was a multi-tool with a file. So I had to sit there and grind the aluminum out until I could actually get the pins remounted and get that thing going again, which took me a week and a half just to get the basics down. A week and a half. So you're talking, you, you were still traveling every day. Yes. And during your leisure time in the evening... <laughs> you'd sit there and grind away with your Swiss army knife. You said a multi-tool, but this is that's yes. basically what it was, right? One of those little foldable tools that had several different attachments on it. Yeah, that's right. To, to repair the shovel. Now, normally we wouldn't think of a shovel as being a big deal, but this was essential. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's this thing that I changed at the last minute, and I broke my rule of using no untested weapons in the field. And mm. boy, I got burned by that bad. Mm. But you learned some things from it as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I learned that even though I got reduced basically to a caveman digging with a scrap of metal in the middle of Antarctica, oh, I knew that I could still keep going. I wasn't going to give up no matter what. Yeah. Physically, Aaron, it's obvious that you put yourself to the test. Yes. But perhaps the even bigger test for you was the mental, psychological test. Would that be fair? Yes. Crossing Antarctica, people say, is at least 60% mental because people will give mm. up on this expedition even though they have plenty of water, food, time, supplies, and they're in hurt. People have just quit and said, okay, I can't do this. You mentioned that you were down one day for the weather. Yes. Probably your best weather day out there would be a deal breaker for most people. <laughs> it's what I'm guessing. You know what Yo, I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Describe that worst weather day. What What were you facing? The worst weather day, as I estimated, it was just at sub-hurricane force winds where I'd built up an ice wall to protect me from it. But the wind was so strong that it actually chewed through igloo-sized blocks of ice and ripped through six feet of ice and only left about one foot of chunks there. And wow. the wind was so strong that the swirling snow started to spin around the guy lines for the stakes on my tent and began dugging or digging them out. And if that wow. happened, those things will start flailing around like razor blades at 100 miles an hour. Needless to say, not a good situation. And the temperatures? Oh, probably minus 40, but the wind chill got down to minus 100 at times. And your shelter was a nylon tent? Yes. <laughs> oh, jeez. This is why I had to use a blanket while I was reading your book. <laughs> because that's just crazy. So, so listeners, as you just consider being in those kinds of conditions, what would be happening in your mind and, and Aaron, you were by yourself, too. Yes. No companions, no support. Well, you had some support. Yeah, for supplies moving forward, but that's it. There's but, nobody with you. But that was for, um, and the support would be in the form of someone would come in and leave a cache for you that you could ski to. Yes. It's not like they showed up and gave you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Was that on your wish list? I don't know. Uh, when I got back, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you you need a you need a couple of self hugs when you're going through this experience. So give us, and that's kind of where I wanted to go with this. Give us some of the practical things that you learned about how do you take care of yourself mentally. What is it that you do in order to to bolster yourself against these kinds of challenges from a mental psychological standpoint? Now, one of the things is to take the perspective of you know something is going to go wrong sometime. Mm -hmm. Things are going right and everything's fine. But you know, sooner or later, your car is going to break down. The water heater is going to break. The shovel. Right. (laughs) And the shovel is going to break in the middle of Antarctica. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, okay, you're going to have to accept that. And if you decide to get mad and scream and run around, the only thing you're going to do is flail around. You're going to get yourself into a negative spiral. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's very difficult to come out of that. When this happens, you know, okay, I know I'm going to get upset and I just have to let that emotion wash past, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to focus on that. Use that energy instead to turn around and, okay, I'm going to redouble my efforts with what I have left and keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So the most urgent thing to take care of is your own mind. Absolutely, because without that, you've got nothing. And that doesn't matter what the elements are that are combining against you. So, so the shovel breaking is just an analogy. Oh, yeah. It's just metaphorical. If something in your life is going to break, family, friends, job, vehicle, home, something is always going to go wrong, and you have to know that that's going to happen. Right. Nobody has a perfect life. I mean, if we did, boy, <laughs> that would be kind of nice. I'd sign up for that too, but it's not going to happen. Or would you? I wouldn't. That wouldn't be interesting for me. Right. And I don't think it would be for any of us, really. I mean, we train our minds to think that problems are, well, a problem. Oh, sure. But really, that's what gives us the challenges or the opportunities. You got to spend a week, a week and a half fixing a shovel. Oh, yeah, and that learned, remember the movie Apollo 13, Mm. where once the oxygen explosion happened, the scene where the director dumped this pile of junk in a room with these engineers and said, okay, you've got whatever hours to figure this out because these men will die if you can't do something with this pile of stuff and figure it out. You have to solve it. Yes, and your Mm -hmm. life is literally on the line. Fortunately, most people in modern society don't live like that anymore. Right. We're not fighting off saber-toothed tigers and cave bears. But the mental aspect, it wipes out a lot of people. Right. Unless they look at it as a challenge. Right, absolutely. And it all depends on how you perceive what's happened to you. And what else did you have to do in the frozen wasteland of Antarctica anyway, right? (laughs) (laughs) Except maybe play through songs in your head that you can't get out of your head. No, actually, once that happens, the more you fight that, the more and louder they become in your mind. So it's best just to embrace it and go with it. Just be entertained by it. Oh, yeah. Just let it roll. Just laugh at it because you know it's going to happen and you have to say all right you can Mm -hmm. scream and get mad and then it'll still be there just prodding you so just wrap your arm around it and say okay this is going to be my company the worst song that popped in my head was the 99 bottles of beer on the wall (laughs) oh jeez and i fought it and i fought it 
And I realized, okay, this is just going to keep prodding me. So I ran all the way down to no bottles of beer. And as soon as I did that, it went away. So it was one of those metaphorical. It's like your subconscious was satisfied at that point. Yeah. And as long as you keep fighting it, it's not going to let you go. But as soon as you say, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm embracing this. I'm going to go with it. And then once I got through it, I said, hey, well, that wasn't so bad. I've never actually done it. And I had nothing better to do but keep skiing towards an empty horizon. I might as well give it a spin. Sure. You know what? You said that earlier, too, when you mentioned the emotions that can hit you when your shovel breaks. Whatever your shovel breaking means to you. And and that sinking, uh, desperate, um, maybe sometimes hopeless feeling that can come up. And you said, just let that feeling wash over you. Because fighting it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're human, so you're going to have feelings, and you're never wrong about how you feel. So allow yourself to feel it, but then you're saying, don't get stuck there. Embrace whatever it is that you're experiencing. Reclaim your mind, and then start moving forward from that position of positive attitude. Absolutely. That's amazing. Oh, hey. <laughs> well, it's and and it's life saving, and it's life enhancing. Do you feel that your life is better because you've been through this experience? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it it's helped me understand a deeper part of myself. Of okay, when things go completely wrong, can I still succeed? Absolutely, mm-hmm. you can, no matter what. Oh yeah, I mean, people have had far worse cancer lost family, lost limbs, uh, yeah, soldiers in war. But I still see those guys living in down San Diego, living by the Marine base. You would see those guys coming back, and I felt terrible for them. But they still had a smile on their face. They stood up, and they were proud. So, Aaron, you have a book out, Antarctic Tears. Um how do people find you, get a hold of you? You speak to organizations, companies, groups. Yes. What's the best way to, to contact you? My website, ncexped.com, or contact me on the web. Just look me up online. It's I'm easy to find. Okay. We will put a link up for that on the blog post as well so that people can find you. Folks, this is Aaron Linsdow. Thank you so much for being with us today, Aaron. Great. Thank you, Dr. Paul. And it's time. Go live on purpose. <laughs>